Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. To have a pile of work. That's what I tell every performer, every writer. You have to have a pile of work that you can point to and go, I can do this and here's the proof. Because anyone can go, I'm really funny. Who cares? No one cares. Welcome back to the podcast, Elise Roth. Welcome back, listeners. Elise, hi. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to talk about today's guest. Oh, good. <laughs> Wait, um, when was the last time you were, you were here on In the Envelope? We talked about Oscar nominations. Oscar nominations. And it's such a long award season that that was now like a long time ago. Yeah, it feels like months <laughs> ago. Yeah, here we are at the end of April, still, still having no, uh, no Oscars, them, no Oscar results to speak about. And in fact, maybe that's a good way to intro this episode. It is Emmy season, listeners, and we have an Emmy contender. We're, we're getting started on the Emmy contenders before the Oscars are even over. That's the nature of this season. Amber Ruffin, today's guest, is a four-time Emmy nominee, and I suspect she will be in the mix again this year. Um, I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so too. At least, do you want to go ahead and like? Well, I don't really know. So what is the what is your connection? Why do you love Amber Ruffin, today's guest? Well, it goes back to a very New York story. I have been a fan of Seth Meyers for a long time. And yes. there was a an improv performance of the Seth Meyers Writers Room at oh. Upright Citizens Brigade in New York City. And my friend Sarah and I both love Seth Meyers, so we decided to go and check it out. Uh-huh. And there was a, you know, a selection of writers there. It wasn't like his whole staff, but um, she was there. I had I had not previously known of her individually. Sure. And it was a very funny show. Many people on the staff were very funny, but she just stood out mm. like yeah. so memorable. We became obsessed with her immediately, and it just. <laughs> blossomed from there and then she started to appear on the show yes and i obviously went home and followed her on twitter immediately and wanted to learn everything i could about her because she was just so funny and then there was an announcement that she was getting a show on nbc and then that show didn't end up going which was disappointing right but obviously i love her on seth and it's great to see her various segments on seth they're always very funny and then it was extra exciting for her to get her own show and (gasps) she, she really does has, she just has a unique voice. She's very funny. And now she has a very unique sense of style on her show, which is an added bonus. (laughs) And she's just brought it all into a complete package on her show. Yes, the style, the style factor is there for you too, for sure. 
The Amber Ruffin Show, it's on Peacock. It is so much fun. And it is it is a late night show, right? It's a talk show, I would say, but it is definitely also a variety show. Mm-hmm. And variety is sort of like a blanket term that incorporates a lot of things, but there are sketches. There's monologues of more of the typical late night vein. Songs. One thing about the Amber Ruffin <laughs> Show, there are song, they're full on musical numbers. She doesn't do interviews in the same way that other late night guests do. But also uh, worth noting is that she didn't stop. She hasn't stopped working on Seth Meyers. She's working two right. full-time jobs. Yeah. Right, which just drives home how amazing she is. Yes. And brilliant and <laughs> creative and funny. Yeah. She's such a great mix of silly, straight-up educational activist and um, so brilliant in so many different ways. And you know that she is Broadway-bound. She is working on the Some Like It Hot musical, which will appear on Broadway if and when Broadway is back at some point. Yes. Very busy lady. Very busy. But it's kind of like when Phoebe Waller-Bridge started to get all that work after Fleabag was picking up, even though she already had a lot of work before then. And it's you're kind of like, well, I just have implicit trust in whatever this person does because she's really good. She's really smart. She has carved out her own voice and point of view. And that means the result is just going to be good. Yeah. And for all those reasons, she kind of makes for the perfect backstage podcast guest because to talk about her success right now, especially after this like banner year she's had, she's also a New York Times bestselling author. It's so cool to to ask somebody in that position about their journey of how they got here. And she had great stuff to say about her different processes of writing, of performing, and like her her background in like improv and sketch comedy. Thank you, Elise, for helping me introduce her. Thank you for having me. As I told you, my whole life has led up to this moment. (laughs) I will sing her praises any opportunity I can. So this was very exciting opportunity for me because I think everyone needs to know about Amber and needs to belong to the Church of Amber. (laughs) Church. Oh, it's a church. Yes, 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 yes. And on that very reverent celebratory note, um, what a perfect way to intro this episode. Thank you, Elise. Hi there, listeners. If you're loving In the Envelope, I have another podcast that I think you might enjoy. School Stage and Screen is a podcast from the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music, and it takes listeners inside the entertainment industry with stories and advice from Broadway performers, TV actors, movie producers, makeup artists, and more. Sound familiar? It's amazing. Episodes are weekly every Monday. It's hosted by CCM alumni Brian J. Lighton and Dylan Mulvaney, one a producer and one a Broadway performer. And it explores the transformative moments that will enlighten aspiring and current performing artists who dream of using their creativity to jumpstart their careers. Recent guests include Hamilton stars Andrew Chappelle and Raven Thomas and Dead to Me actress Diana Maria Riva. When we get breakdowns, when when we see the the roles that they're auditioning for, the Descriptions are clear, white male, white women, or all ethnicities. This is what they would put in. So in the early years, my team would push and say, let her come in for this role. And I would go in and I would audition and the role would go from Michelle O'Brien to Sonia Ramirez after I got cast in it. And that's fine. That's the key to go in there and, and, and convince them to see you in this while bringing that, that character spirit to, to life. And that's our job. That's what we go in there and do. Tune in to School Stage and Screen. Details can be found at ccm.uc.edu slash school stage screen. 
Emmy-nominated writer, performer, and comedian Amber Ruffin grew up doing theater and improv first in Omaha, then Amsterdam, then Chicago, and eventually New York City, becoming the first black woman to write for a network talk show on NBC's Late Night with Seth Meyers. She's appeared on Comedy Central's Drunk History, written for multiple series and award show specials, and, as of last year, hosts Peacock's late-night variety series, The Amber Ruffin Show. Here is the hilarious Amber Ruffin. Amber Ruffin, hi, hello. Hi. How's it going? (laughs) In general, um, pretty fun. Work is very fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, but real life is probably not great. Okay. Because of like the pandemic and armed murderers. Yeah. But outside of that, could be worse. Yeah. And I was going to ask, like, is that answer in reference to just this week or the whole year? But it seems like both. Oh, my God. I forgot about the rest of the year. And we were just joking about, uh, yeah, where we are in the pandemic and how, you know, not every aspect of, of the year of the pandemic is horrible. And like looking at your year is is a reminder of that. I feel like, is it safe to say you've also had a great year just in terms of your career <laughs> if you only are talking about <laughs> career then yes i've had a great year i like to say i made a wish on a monkey's paw mm-hmm. yeah not mm-hmm. exactly what i wanted but woo, what a yeah. nifty price yeah we, we we have you to blame for for everything yeah be careful what you wish for yeah right um that's actually such a perfect segue because um well first of all we are backstage as podcast did you ever use backstage for yep. casting notices <gasps> Like, what did you look for? What, how did you use it? When I was in LA, oh. it was one of the um, websites I would check all the time. But I never did like theater, theater. Sure, sure. I would love to look at it and be like, this is the life I could lead if only. Then who knew I would end up living in New York? So you never know what's going to happen to you. Sure, sure. Oh, if only. Okay, because I want to get into it. Like, what what was the initial goal? How has the dream changed? Um, first off, like, yeah, as a kid, childhood inspirations was the idea to have your own late night talk show. Congratulations on all your success, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. And no, but I did love late night. I just it never occurred to me that I could have a late night anything. I was sure. down the hallway working underneath Seth, and it did not occur to me that I could yeah. have yeah. my own So yeah, it certainly wasn't part of the plan. Um, the plan was to try to get paid. End of plan. And, oh, end of plan. No specifics. <laughs> uh, to, have, to have a stable job. End yeah. of plan. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And then at what was there a point that it occurred to you that that could be entertainment in some way? Yes. I lived in Omaha, Nebraska. I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. And mm-hmm. I auditioned for, you know, our local community theater. Oh, great. And ended up 
uh, doing shows a little bit. And then I thought, oh, this is great. I'm going to live my life in Omaha, Nebraska. and like uh, probably deliver mail by day and then sure. do shows at night. That was truly what I thought my whole life was going nice. to be. And I was thrilled. Then, gotcha. my, uh, then we started doing improv in Omaha. And then we visited Chicago, and while we were there, one of the women who owns a theater, Sharna Halpern, was like, if you move here, you'll have a full-time job as an actor within a year, I guarantee it. And she was right. I moved there, and I did. Yeah, and uh, I auditioned for Boom Chicago, which is a comedy theater Mm -hmm. in Amsterdam. Yes. And then I got it. So I moved. I did not want to leave Omaha ever. So I went to Chicago because my friends forced me to. And then I mo- ended up moving to Amsterdam, which also was not on the list. Definitely not on the list. Yeah. And coincidentally, also the pretty much the same path of Seth Meyers. Yes. That's Crazy. right. Seth went to Northwestern in Chicago and then auditioned for Boom Chicago and then went to Amsterdam. Yeah. Yeah. We're basically the same guy. Yeah, right. It's so interesting that um, that notion of like a turning point of of the realization that you can do something, do entertainment professionally. And for you, it was someone telling you, I did she say like, I promise you, because I feel like there are no guarantees. She couldn't make that promise, but she did. She did. She was right. Isn't that she was right? Yeah. So ultimately, she can make the promise. Yeah, I guess if it delivers, then yeah, there's that monkey paw again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's when it occurred to you, okay, I can do this without the the day job mail thing. And from then it is only a natural leap to like, well, then I might as well go to Amsterdam. That's so random, but might as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But I just thought how long, I, I was like, I got to gobble this up because it'll disappear soon. Sure. You know, I thought mm. age out of this or I or, you know, I'm lucky to have been hired at all because I'm a black lady. The next, mm. you know, the next theater will be like, no, thank you. <laughs> so sure. we already like, have one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> wow. Does that happen to you all the time when you don't know if they're saying Jack because your name is Jack? <laughs> Exactly. My last name is also Smart, which adds further confusion, I would say. <laughs> oh my gosh. You don't know nothing, Jack. I also feel like um, the thing about, maybe this is specific to the the comedy spheres you were operating in. I really want to ask you about acting versus writing. In general, were they and are they one and the same? Are you approaching them the same way? Or is it kind of like I am writer Amber actor Amber, and sometimes they mix. I am always writing what I perform, and that's been that way for quite a long time. Gotcha. You know, if I say yeah. it, God's are, I wrote it. So yeah. okay. it is kind of the same because you're just improvising with yourself. Hmm. Is that how it works? Is that part of the, take us through the writing process? inspiration to fruition you well for me what i like to do is i like to come up with something that i would like to do and Uh then figure out a topical way to do it like i would like to tap dance you know (laughs) anywhere on top of 
and a cane, and then that's it, just that. Yeah, <laughs> and then so I would be like, oh, okay, you know who's a real showman is, you know, I don't know. It it, it could be like, so I'll be like, you know, posturing, um, public figures who are. You know, trying to seem like they have your best interests at heart, but really they're just a song and dance. That's not a bad idea. No, yeah, there's but a contest. That's, that's not bad. Right. That's not bad. That's I mean, hilarious. mapping, tap dancing. Okay. I didn't think we we would get to see your creative process in real time. That is all it is. <laughs> that's all it is. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Um, and that, but how has that changed? Like, so how does, um, especially like Second City, how much of it was improv and how much of it is sketch? And again, like how much is that kind of blending together? At Second City, what we did was we wrote our review mm -hmm. and, you know, we would just undo the current show and take out, you know, the opening and put in the other, our newly written opening and then take gotcha. out this chunk and put in our newly written chunk. And then just slowly the old show becomes the new show. So a lot of people think that they saw a complete Second City show when what they saw was a show in flux. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of that. And then at the end of every show, we would do an improvised set. And then we just, you know... Okay really regular improv but sometimes we would write a sketch and it wasn't all the way there so what we would do is perf like half memorize it and then just get oh, up I there know. and feel it out mm -hmm. so there was a lot of that now oh, you, mean, you, you come from that background and yeah, then you yeah. go into tv they don't like you <laughs> okay interesting that's the next uh transition is then it's how do you take the improv semi-writing sketch writing background and translate it into yeah talk to me about snl and what happened with snl followed by seth myers um in 2014 not to make you relive any traumas <laughs> it was we fun. do kind of love that on this podcast so <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone can apply now. Um, yeah. At SNL, in 2014, they realized, or SNL started to audition a lot of black women, see yeah. if they could find one, because they didn't have one. Just the one. Who did they have? No, I mean, like, they only oh, had yeah, a spot oh, yeah. for one. Yeah. And that's sad. Well, they auditioned, they were hunting they were hunting for a black woman. <laughs> they were trying to find a black woman. Oh boy, I'm in hot water. I'm going to get a phone call saying you've lost your job. Um, no, what I mean to say is uh, Saturday Night Live was uh, looking for a black woman to fall in love with. Uh, and they auditioned. They went auditioned everywhere, I assume. But I was in LA at the time. And so at a theater that once again that lady owned she put me up as a I, I never made that connection I wonder if she did that it doesn't matter so I auditioned for SNL and they had a bunch of little showcases and so I did two three uh -huh. so then I made it to the New York City audition 
Okay. Where I was, I, and in between the two things, once I realized I was going to New York City, I hit up every open mic night and I rehearsed uh-huh. and rehearsed and rehearsed my little three characters and yeah. three um, uh, impressions over and over and over again. P.S. I couldn't tell you what they were. But you don't remember? I, I, it was some bit with Olivia Pope. Okay. So I was Carrie Washington. And then a Somalian sommelier. And then <laughs> okay. I assume Michelle Obama. Was your like impression. Yeah. Yeah. And then who knows what else? Who knows? Could have been anything. Whatever it was, wasn't good enough to get you a spot on SNL. <laughs> you but blocked it out. I guess so. I really, I looked through my Google Docs. I can't find it anywhere. Who knows? Um, and oh my God, I hope I never see that audition but i also want to a little bit yeah so yeah, yeah. we all auditioned and we all like you know had been doing these um auditions together these showcases in la and then we all like became friends it was oh, okay. a lot of us knew each other but when mm-hmm. you're an improviser and you're a black person they usually spread the wealth so each group oh. has one black person so that oh. everyone can have one so um so we were like oh this is the first time i get to like perform with you and hang out with you interesting so it was very fun and then we got here and we auditioned and it was the best <laughs> it was the best and we all it was me mckendra tooks Leslie Jones yeah. and it was just us three and we were like oh my god one of us is gonna be on SNL and then we get to they're like okay stay in town so everyone else who was in town left mm-hmm. we stayed and then we had uh, we went to the show and then it was the three of us waiting in line Mila Kendra and Leslie and we we're like, oh, it's one of us three, one of us three. And then Sashir Zameda shows up and we were like, it were never you? occurred to us that someone might live in New York and then not need to stay in our hotel so we wouldn't know them. Oh, okay. <laughs> so she was in New York. Yeah, yeah. We showed up and we were like, aha, I see. Okay. Yes. So uh, things have changed. <laughs> and then Sashir ended up getting it. Yeah. Leslie Jones, of course, ended up getting that writing spot yeah. before she became an actor. And then LaKendra Tooks also got it. So everyone but me got it. <laughs> but then the then somehow, some way, Seth contacted you. And what I find interesting about the next step is that it was not as a performer. It was just as a writer for his job. Yes. Well, secretly, so Seth contacted me at to, contacted me to be a writer for Late Night with Seth Meyers three days later. So it was three days of me being like, oh boy. But yeah. um, he was hiring me thinking, I'll also have performers on the show. Okay. Because he had seen me perform a million times at Boom Chicago. So gotcha. that is how it went down. But then I ended up writing, you know, a lot. And then writing a lot, yeah. And like you said, everything you perform on the show, of course, you've written. Almost all of it, yeah. And several, and a lot of what you've written was performed by somebody else, including Seth. 
But at some point, uh, particularly with, of course, jokes Seth can't tell, which is so brilliant, um, it started to be. I just really like the thing I like about Late Night with Seth Meyers is the meta element. It's the most like, here's what's going on in the writer's room. And so by nature of that, you became an on-camera personality, right? Because of the strength of your sketches. I hope that's exactly how it went. Well, you know, I don't know. I just had, once they gave me a little bit of it, I was like, oh, are these the rules? I was like, okay, how about I roller skate? And they're like, we love it. Okay, Okay. how about I go do this? They're like, great. They're like, okay, so I'm just going to keep pushing this as far. And the more outlandish it was, the more they're like, great, we love it. Knock yourself out. It's great. It's like they had a spoiled child. Yeah. Yes. Like that is, I mean, this on this podcast, we are always asking for advice, especially for early career artists of any kind, writers, actors, comedians, etc., and it sound we've heard it again and again lean into your uniqueness you know speak to what you know and you were given that green light at every turn to the point that you continued to be like is this allowed is this allowed is this allowed so how much were you thinking of it as rule breaking including the amber ruffin show now because that has <laughs> on purpose again very meta like shifted shifted the um the guideposts right i like to think so um yeah I was always like, can I get away with this? Can I get away with this? But then, yeah. you know, it's, you're not getting away with it. Any uh, sh- any showcase of you isn't sneaky. People want it. People want exactly who you are. Mm-hmm. They love it. And that's not a special rule. I mean, I guess if you like, like to kick dogs, then no, no one <laughs> wants to see who you are. But most human beings yeah. are great people want to know you you know you're like mm-hmm. i look at all these baseball cards i love them for these reasons people love that you yeah. know the proof is really documentaries is you know how when you watch a documentary and people be like i love jeans these <laughs> jeans are from guests in 1996 you're like oh i'm enthralled Meanwhile, yeah. i've never thought about jeans in my entire life but this yeah, old yeah. lady loves them i am in but that same rule goes for almost every creative anything okay you know um but it took me 50 years to figure that out even while i was at (laughs) late night seth i kept trying to write like what he wanted me to do on the show you know through the filter of all these late night rules and then the more i broke them the Mm -hmm. more i they were like great right is it almost like a muscle a muscle of like um (laughs) getting more specific and more individualized and more like empowered in that? I mean, yes, it's a lot. It's just, it feels like, remember when you used to be embarrassed about everything? It feels like getting rid of that. Yeah. But it doesn't feel embarrassing. It feels, but you know, it acts in that same way when you are without it. Totally. You know, it's like shooting your shot. Yeah, and and working without shame and and without like creative limitations which of course we impose on ourselves like we're our own worst enemies right i wouldn't have guessed it but it's really true yeah because you just want to be liked and you've never been rewarded for being liked for being exactly yourself i mean that's so rare to be socialized at all is to um uh comply what's the word i'm looking for 
to adhere? Oh, no. With the rest of this podcast is me trying to figure out what that word is. <laughs> um, is. Is he trying to fit in? Oh, well, it's gone. Um, you know, but once you learn. Yeah. Conform? Conform. Uh. Oh, I can breathe. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> no, I totally, I, I really hear that. I mean, I need to, I need to hear that. This thing of like um, the jeans and the baseball cards idea, it's because that person is doing it unabashedly, right? It's because they're doing it without like a, sorry, but this is me, right? Yeah. And yes, and that's why I think I'm very lucky because I don't have a lot of natural shame. I don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. the youngest of five. So yeah. there's, you know, four siblings and mommy, daddy being like, oh, that's great. Oh, did you make a mud pie? Oh, looks delicious. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> you don't want to wear pants today? Who needs them? You know, just that, yeah. like, like feverish, constant encouragement, you know, will make a this out of a person. Will make a this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I almost feel like, is it safe to say also the entertainment industry, but also maybe specifically comedy is the only professional sphere, the only kind of creativity where that sort of like behavior and that sort of shamelessness is an asset. I don't think so. I think no. weird. There's others. Like, cause remember when Missy Elliott arrived and we were like, this sounds weird. And then one second later we were like, this is the best music I've ever heard in my life. Okay, interesting. But everything she did was weird as hell. And that everything is, she did, we loved. That is such a great example. Yeah, because I almost wanted to ask you, like, do you think about the mainstream? This also maybe goes to the Amber Ruffin show and creating your own talk show. Do you think of the, of the mainstream and then where you sit in relation to it? This idea, also what you're saying of like, I'm trying to write the joke that I think Seth's audience, you know, trying to steer it in that direction. And then, of course, being told, no, go further into your... Is it your own mainstream? Is it a tributary? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm always trying to do what, also luckily, like I don't have a lot of shame, but I also, and I think because of that, I am searching for what feels a little embarrassing. So I was like to oh. feel a teensy bit embarrassed. And I think that that is fun because it's a fun, odd feeling to me. Okay. I think other people just live their lives embarrassed. But I'll leave the house looking yes. like anything. I'll give a rip. I'll tell you all my business is terrible. Finding your voice means so many different things, but I feel like it's it's so much about um, feedback and like learning what the, what the audience does like and getting closer and closer to what you like versus what the audience likes. And maybe there's a Venn diagram between the two. Yes. When I performed at Boom Chicago in Amsterdam, they, you know, I did probably a total of, you know, over the career, mm -hmm. 3,000 shows maybe. And when you get in front of an audience that many times, they mm -hmm. shape who you, what type of performer you are, especially when you're an improviser, because mm -hmm. then you can try out everything, every yeah. character, every voice, every structure of joke everything and you know what comes to your mind the fastest and you know you know what the audience uh will respond to when you have to be silent you know what voices the mm -hmm. audience will respond to when you have to be wordy you know what mm -hmm. genres they like to i mean it's truly 
is research that yeah. you can't, it's like years and years and years of research when you perform. And falling flat on your face, right? And like, and learning to not be afraid of falling flat on your face. Like, what is your relationship to failure? <laughs> um, we're best friends. Um, <laughs> I, at Boom Chicago, once like 300 people are like, boo. <laughs> once that happens, then, and then you are sad. And then you wake <laughs> up and you go do another show again. Then you realize it doesn't matter. Like, none of it matters. It's comedy. You know what cares? Also, like when I started making like little internet videos, yeah, they were all all garbage. Maybe there was like two good ones, and no one cared. No one cared. Like the bad stuff just falls away. And when I'm looking for other writers, I've really gotten off topic, and I think that's the theme of today. No, yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was looking for writers, or when I'm just looking at stuff on the internet, I cannot, when I'm going out to see shows, I cannot remember the bad stuff. I can only remember the good stuff. The bad stuff just doesn't stick, so there's no reason to sweat it. No one will ever remember it. You'll mm -hmm. never have a failure so grand that people would be like, remember that guy who dropped his pants and then took a dump and then tried to <laughs> tell a poem, but it didn't rhyme? Like that, there is no show bad enough that you'll remember. Because if so, I'd have done it already. <laughs> right. That's actually really beautiful. So the advice is like, take the risk, put the thing out there, even if you don't know that it's that good. Because either way, it is data. Maybe, like you said, two of the videos you made were good, and so then you learn from those. It's all gathering. The bad stuff is way more important than the good stuff. Mm. The bad stuff you'll never do again. The good stuff, great. You'll save it for when you need something good. But you need to find yeah. out how many things are good. That's the okay. only information you're gathering. Yeah, and so that that goes to the audition thing, and we spoke about your SNL audition. I don't know how many other like auditions for roles or even for writing gigs you've done. But does that kind of carry over where your relationship with rejection in the industry is such that, well, I'm doing my own thing. If I get uh, rejected, I'm still going to wake up tomorrow and be a human and survive. <laughs> yes. Uh, but you know what? I do say that. But you know what stunk was living in L.A. and auditioning? It was horrible. Okay. Mm. It, I did not like it. But yeah. only because at that point I was writing at a level where I could have also been writing the things I was auditioning for, uh, you know? Yeah. So it was like just a joke would be two words off, but I, you have to say it the way it's written. P.S. You should yeah. never do that. You should always, if you're going out for a comedy role, you should always, always, always say whatever the f*** you want. Okay. That's, that's, that's actually... Cool. That's good advice because we've heard we've heard both. We've heard the opposite of that too. Don't change a word. If you are, it, you should not change a word. If you are not a comedy guy. Okay. Okay. If you're a comedy guy, let her rip. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you can beat what's there, beat it. Hundred percent. Yeah. Because hopefully the person who wrote that, the their ego is not involved and. If it is, and you don't get the role because you bought, you changed their script, oh well, right? <laughs> yeah, it's possible. But if I wrote it, and you can beat what I wrote, beat it. 
because now that I've had to audition people for things, every once in a while you'll get some superstar who will mm-hmm. just punch up your shit a little bit. I'll be like, yes, that's who I want. Because yeah. I don't want, I want someone who is even better than I am. The best case scenario is me, I think I'm sitting in some kind of chocolate. Great. The best case scenario is me being the worst person at work. That's the best case scenario. Yes. I want to be the okay. least talented person up in here. Everybody yes. else, you do it. Totally. But I am interested in this idea of like, so sometimes this is early days, but also possibly now, your creative process for writing jokes is is that super collaborative with a group of people, with people who you have that rapport with, but also sometimes you are improvising with yourself. Like what I, is the ratio? Um, I think that all writing is improvising with yourself. I can't okay. possibly be the person who came up with that. I think that is something a teacher said to me once. Sure. Um, but it's true. All you yeah. do is, oh, what if I said this? And what if he said this? And what if I said this? But uh, I like to write all by myself. Mm-hmm. I like to sit down and I write. And you know, a lot of people will say, you know, you have to make sure you're in the right headspace and you know, the vibe is right. I write because it is time to write. I know that when okay. I wake up on Sunday, by the time Sunday is over, I need to have three sketches. So somebody better do something. Either I wrote them on Saturday or it's time. So I get my work done. And I think that people are letting, and maybe they're right. Maybe that's the healthy way to live. I'm certainly emotionally unhealthy, but Mm -hmm. I don't let my, the way I feel or what I feel like doing interact with the work that has to be done. And that's because I, am a performer and any performer mm-hmm. will be like oh well i feel very sad but it's 7 30 hey everybody welcome to, you know this yeah. is your job and yeah. so that same thing that's why performers are excellent writers we write okay. when it's time to write mm. real real but real writers people who are just writers friggin they it takes them years and years to do one script that you know it takes a week to write a sketch and they have to perfect everything but performers will be like all right i got 20 minutes hit me and they'll poop out a thing yeah and then they will have this first draft the more time you can spend with the first draft the more ahead you are once you get out that first draft you are ahead if you Mm. do a second draft great if you can't who cares you got to the end of a first draft yeah, and get to the end of the first draft before you start editing, right? Yeah. Like complete the thing. Yeah, you got to get to the end, even if it's yeah. bad. Put in placeholder jokes. So many times mm. I've been like, all right, these are placeholder jokes. And then mm. I performed it and been like, oh, this joke plus my performance makes it a pretty good joke. I see. Okay. That's such a wonderful answer to the question of the of the writing world versus the performing world, because I have never heard that on this podcast, that like... Um, it's performers who are used to pumping it out, doesn't need to be perfect. Yes. And that creates the quantity and quality will follow rather than yes. trying to chase quality. Yeah. I didn't know when I got to Late Night Seth, I didn't know that people wrote sketch without performing sketch. I had never seen such a thing. Yeah. And I am 100% of the mindset that performers are the best sketch writers. And that is not popular or nice, but I bet it's a million percent true. 
because we know you write differently when it's your ass on the line. <laughs> you, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you write, you understand when you know what it means to be looking 300 silent people in the face. Yeah. You will, you will do your job. You'll get it done. So what is your advice to those early career performer writer types who maybe don't, the stakes aren't as high and they don't have the deadlines and they don't have the paycheck, you know, (laughs) like, is it to come up with a writing routine? Like, how do you, how, how would you tell them to structure that creativity? Yeah. I would say you're in charge of your deadlines and Mm -hmm. if you want a pile of sketches, got to write a pile of sketches you know Mm -hmm. i what i was lucky enough to do is have a lot of deadlines very early on so it was very easy for me to be like okay i'll just sit down and do it you know but you have to have a pile of work that's what i tell every performer every writer you Mm -hmm. have to have a pile of work that you can point to and go i can do this and here's the proof Mm because anyone can go i'm really funny who cares? No one cares. Can you point to a bunch of videos? Can you point to a bunch of TikTok? Do you tweet every day? Something, anything, yeah. but not something, anything, all of those things. You should, yeah. you should have a bunch of videos. If you write jokes, you're, I should be able to look up your tweet, your Twitter handle and see a butt ton of jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if they don't all work again, like even if they're not all Even brilliant. if they don't all work, even if no one cares. And that's the mistake yeah. a lot of people made is they go, well, no one's watching these things, so I'm going to stop doing them. Uh-huh. Only one, only the right person has to see it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was on a YouTube video, maybe it had a hundred views or something, but the mm-hmm. right person saw it and then I got work from it. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. that it's popular. It matters if it is good. And the, the mm-hmm. two things don't, necessarily happen at the same time. Yeah. And I really love this point that when you sit down to do that, your mood or your feelings in that moment, like they just, they don't matter if you can use them in the writing maybe, but you can't let that overwhelm the making the pile of work. Yeah. You need a pile. We all got to work on our piles. (laughs) Plus what are the odds that you work on the pile and your stuff gets worse? It's, it's, you're only going to get better at it, right? Yes. You're only going to get better at it, even if, and I didn't think this was true, even if you're not performing it, you're writing okay. it and looking at it will change what you do yeah. next time. And I did yeah. not think that that was true because I had performed for so long. When I moved to LA, I thought, well, my writing's going to suffer because no, I'm not performing this stuff that I'm writing, mm. but it got a hundred percent better. Mm. Um, from writing in a different, from yeah. not writing under the gun. Yeah. Gave me a different result. Working different muscles. I definitely think the advice about like use as many different platforms and varieties of, of media as possible. It's like, that's only going to help. Yeah. Do it. You got to do it. Cause lots of people who are, um, like Twitter gods cannot write a monologue joke. And lots of people who write great monologue jokes cannot tweet to save their lives sure (laughs) sure yeah yeah and the point is not to get discouraged no (laughs) the put you just have to be churning out that work because i mean also are you the type of person who can write a bunch of stuff every day because if you're not no one wants to hire you 
And if you yes. get hired, okay. you want to know that that's a ability you have. You have to make sure that you can do the job that you get. Yeah. So it is also in the early career, it is helpful to to define at least a little bit specify where you want to end up and what is required of that job so that you can start at least imitating the structures of that. Yeah. And that's, I um, always say people want to get on a, people want to hop onto a moving train. No one wants to stop and then help mm. you figure out the this and the that. People want to go, well, she made all these videos so I can put her in charge of this. She already knows how to do this, the, yeah. you know, and I saw the proof of it. Or she, uh, she wrote all these scripts and I read them and I know they're good. So I can just give her all these assignments. Like that's what people want. Yeah. Awesome. How do you then translate everything you just said to, to those of us, maybe this is more about me, yeah. who are feeling despair or who are like, like the state of the world, you can't, like some people cannot sit down and, and do that thing of taking away your emotion or your mood mm-hmm. and like translate your feeling about the state of injustices in the world into like a witty comedy sketch. <laughs> How do you um, do that? You can, I mean, I think people's problem with doing that isn't that it's hard, it's that it makes them vulnerable. Ah, okay. And I think if people are just like, well, I'm a, uh, I have feelings and I'm a normal person and these are my feelings about it. Yeah. Then I think things will shake loose. But I also think that's why I just sailed right into this because I was like, you know, completely without boundaries. And then that also translated to how I felt about all these tragedies where I was like, this is a f-ing tragedy. Let's all freak out. <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the willingness to say that, I think struck people a little bit. Yes, the willingness to, yeah. It goes back to the shamelessness idea too. And none of it is anything less than completely honest. It just feels like all of the all of these sketches come from you speaking your honest voice, your honest opinion. I hope so. <laughs> um, the White History Month segment is like essential, and the fact that that can exist alongside like I was watching last night. Of course, I was I was rewatching some stuff, and Who um, Tall I think is my favorite. <laughs> the Soul Patch. It's so stupid. That's my favorite thing. Because <laughs> that's such a perfect example of like, nobody told you no, right? And so you were like, so yes, so let's do it. <laughs> this is how, when you meet someone's bad child, this is what made them shit like this. I'm nothing but someone's bad, bad child. child. Not enough people told me no. But uh, I do like to, I think, people will do a lot of serious comedy and hard-hitting stuff don't 100% enjoy Goofy Doofy Town. And I'm Ah. really lucky because I came up under Seth and he's very goofy. Mm -hmm. He just doesn't... I mean, he will be goofy and he'll be goofy on the show, but he also... You know, I think that's the SNL in him. He'll just let a character come all the way to fruition and work out their whole bit 
like he'll make space for it because he loves the goofiness of it. Yeah. Um, so we're really lucky. There's real commitment. This commitment, I feel like any bit, you can't half-ass it, right? That's, yeah. all, that's also a comedy rule. Yeah. Rule number yeah. one, commit to the bit. Yeah, which is also acting advice. I mean, obviously, we speak we speak mostly to the actor actors. Um, do you have like a favorite actor? We always ask everyone, what is one performance you think every actor should see and why? Maybe in your case, is it a comedian or, or anything you've seen recently that like any entertainer, any early career entertainer should study? Um, I would and that maybe my favorite like a performance where I was like oh my god this is happening was um, Whoopi Goldberg in Jumpin' Jack Flash it was oh. just so crisp another it was just very crisp and physical and I had just never seen that from a black woman but mm. to me my favorite performance all time oh my god am i getting ready to say this i think so i think my favorite comedic performance of all time is the movie arthur with dudley moore oh yeah okay to me it is oh my god the single funniest thing i've ever seen in my life because the whole time he's playing a character and it is so touch and go but it just it walks on that tightrope the entire time it's just yeah. so difficult if you've ever had to play drunk. It's very easy to have a horrible time, especially when you have to be drunk and funny. It's really hard. Yeah. And he does it, knocks it out of the park for an entire movie. And every time I see that movie, I am doubled over laughing. I've seen it a thousand times. I think it came Amazing. out before I was born. It's the <laughs> fucking funniest thing I've ever seen. Also, like, he had a, a very specific way of delivering those jokes. And that comedy, like, none of those structures stuck. You know how everyone said, um, that's what she said, or um, Mm. maybe not. Like, those (laughs) things like that. They became tropes. Yes. None of his stuff did, and it all could have. And so it's it's so nice to see comedy that is, that has no... It, it, there is nothing like it anywhere else sure. and the very structure of it is quite odd so yeah. I love it what a fantastic answer that says so much about your That's I. it's very in keeping with your comedy I think yeah <laughs> what a mess when he what says a um, freaking mess that movie. he runs into the hedge and he apologizes and then he goes oh you're a hedge <laughs> <laughs> What is it in that? When he's in his future father-in-law's um, study, and there's a big moose head on the, the wall, moose. he points at the moose head and he goes, "Where's the rest of it?" <laughs> <laughs> we got to figure out how to make a remake of that movie with you in that role. That'd be the best. Amber Ruffin as Arthur. God, that'd be amazing. Um, I have to let you go soon, but we also asked for the worst audition horror story, and we've, we've touched on this. Ugh. Do you have one? Do you want to relive one? It wasn't SNL, it right? It was so... No, my SNL audition was excellent. Yeah, yeah. But once in LA, I mean, I you know how it is in LA. You just audition for whatever you can get your hands on, and it's yeah. all murder, and it's all terrible, and no one wants to see you. They don't know who you are. 
you have to just show up and be like, listen to me. So once, <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't get a lot of auditions at all. Okay. I auditioned poorly. I am extremely bad at it. Right. So okay. once I auditioned to be a dancer in a, like a, some kind of commercial and they just wanted like cool kids who dance during, oh, okay. you know, and it was <laughs> so bad. It was so bad. And the whole time, like I'm getting dressed to go to this audition and I'm thinking, I can't dance. I shouldn't be doing this. And yeah. then I am like, well, who cares? No one's going to see me. And I get there and it's just one guy. And I go, this is great. I'm going to dance my heart out. Because who cares what this one guy thinks? Uh, and it is so bad that I can remember what... If I saw that guy tomorrow, I'd be like, you. It's you. Oh, You're no. the guy. If yeah. I drove past that place, I would remember it. If I appeared in that room, I'd be like, this is the room where it happened. I just remember yeah. all of it so so fresh. I remember it like it was yesterday. And when I tell you I can't dance, I mean, I mean newborn can't walk. And I can't dance. It's the same. <laughs> yeah. Was that an example of like, it's good that you got the data? Like, it's good that you had the bad experience? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because I am quite cocky. And I was like, I can probably <laughs> figure it out. So maybe a little humility is what you learned too? Woo! Nope. <laughs> I'll never learn it, baby. Because <laughs> I'm the best. <laughs> uh, that's so fun. It's also, so we've also heard on this podcast though, because what you said almost contradicts what we've heard of like bombing an audition could end your career. I think there's this fear of like, you could always have someone see it and decide they're blacklisting you. But you're saying, go for it anyway. It doesn't matter what it is. doesn't matter if it's terrible because people will also remember the good stuff. They might even remember the good stuff more than the bad. Yes, absolutely. Like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's a different industry, but I have never mm. taken note and been like, I dislike this person so much that I'm going to remember, I'm going to expend any effort on them. Like, who cares? Yeah. You showed okay. up, you came, you tried. Thank you. Thanks for that. I, I, I wanted to have choices. Thank you for giving me yeah. a choice of people. There you go. So I, you can't, I don't know. I would rather no one live their life according to that. You got to try. You got to try. You got to take risks. Yeah. yeah. It must help also to be on the other side of the audition table, especially now, like, there's some hindsight, right? Yes. Because <laughs> when people just throw themselves into it, that's all that matters. Yeah. Even yeah. if they throw themselves into it and it's bad, then you can clearly see what other roles they'd be good for mm. because you saw so much of them. But when people are shy and hidden, they're a nothing and it makes no impression on you. It's not productive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shamelessness and commitment to the bit. That's the, that's the advice. Yeah. And volume. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, maybe. But I mean, um, in an audition, yeah, maybe. You got to be in Comedy for sure. Hey, I yeah. don't Thank you so much, Amber. This is so great. What? So what is next? You are going to Broadway. I don't know how you're balancing this with everything else you're doing. Aren't you working two full-time jobs? <laughs> yes, I am. And I wrote a book. <laughs> and um, you wrote a book. Congratulations. Thank you. We did it. Um, we are going to Broadway with the musical version of Some Like It Hot. Amazing. 
So watch out. <laughs> it's happening. I, and just like the Amber Ruffin show, it's happening in the middle of a pandemic where like there's uh the like Broadway's not open. Like it's you're really dreaming things into fruition here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, holy magoli. I hope it opens back up. But it's really exciting what yeah. it is. They were like, well, we have a black female lead, you know, do you want to help us write it? And I was like, okay. And then I kind of just basically wrote her as me. Amazing. <laughs> so like this oh. big weirdo. Yes. Okay. <laughs> this is show. the Maryland part? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Watch out for some brown sugar coming your way. Oh my God. Do you think people are going to say that? I hope they don't. <laughs> that is so, that sounds like a dream. And um, yeah, considering the year you've had, I can only imagine what a year from now, what what projects you'll be working on and what we'll be talking about. Yay! So congratulations. Thank you so much. This is, You've really given us pure advice gold on this podcast. Yay. Thank you, Jack. Thanks for having me. Yay. And now it's time to hear from Christine McKenna-Torella, our backstage casting insider. I will let her take it away. Hi, guys. Christine McKenna-Torella here. Amber Ruffin is a multi-talented comedian, writer, and host of her own show. But starting out in the business, that pathway wasn't clear to her, and she did a lot of improv comedy at Second City and other theaters like that. When actors ask me how they can improve their acting skills, especially for commercials, I recommend taking improv classes. Lots of reasons why. The most prevalent being that commercial copy for auditions are really loose, right? So you'll often be encouraged in the audition setting to add your own ending or button, as we call it in the business. Or you may be given sides that are really vague, like start of scene, two people chatting together and then go into the scripted sides. In auditions, there'll also be a lot of improving and miming of props that may not be in the audition room. So getting used to improving and fully committing to your imaginary space becomes quite important. I also think that improv is a muscle and you can grow a lot as an artist by getting out of your head and out of your comfort zone and doing something unscripted. In particular, there are two rules of improv that I think are very helpful to actors. The first rule is yes and. So that means in improv scenes, you have to say yes to whatever your partner suggests. It's against the rules to say no because no in an improv scene kind of goes flat, right? It makes the scene die. So you have to be truly able to work with whatever you have in front of you and take action. It helps you get out of your head. Secondly, improv sharpens your listening skills. And this builds on the yes and rule. In scripted scenarios, an actor can get into habits of jumping to play an emotion or reacting to something that hasn't happened in the scene yet. And in improv, you really have to listen to everything that's happening in your scene and live in the moment of the scene, which can be very compelling to watch. I know the idea of improv is intimidating to some actors because, you know, you associate it with comedy. And of course, that is the outcome of a lot of improv, right? And that's because distilling comedy down to its essence is the truth is funny. So I would encourage you as an actor, if improv is intimidating to you, to let go of the angle 
of something being funny for improv and just let it be truthful right just let it be something that helps you grow as an artist and share as an artist on to the casting calls for this week For the UK actors in London, there's a commercial for fast food. It's a brand that's looking for someone who yodels. So any cool guys out there that actually yodel, perhaps they're beatboxers or trained singers or opera singers who can learn to yodel quickly for a shoot. The buyout uh, for the project is £10,000 plus a uh, a shooting fee. So that's worth taking a look if you're in London. Keeping with the food theme, there's an unscripted food show filming in LA. They're interested in creating a long-lost family recipe for families and individuals in LA, a new culinary series on a cable network aimed at helping families recreate nostalgic dishes. That's shooting um, mid-June, so apply quickly. And finally, in New York, there is a commercial shoot for an NYC gym casting five actors for a fitness gym commercial, shooting still photos and a video. It's a non-speaking role. Uh, It'll be used for social ads, websites, and they're inside the gym itself. The diverse group of actors they're looking for, they want them to, quote, work out with the trainers. Details on the site. As always, we have hundreds of casting calls for every type of actor in every region of this site. So head over to backstage.com to check all of those out. That's all from me for now. Break a leg in your upcoming auditions, guys, and have a beautiful week. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Rouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.